Well, I've already said it once, but I'll say it again. Happy Easter. There you go. Let me say it again. Happy Easter. There you go. You weren't ready for it the first time. That's fine. You're ready for it the second time. Glad you joined us today. For those of you that I have not yet had a chance to meet, my name is John. I'm the pastor here, and we are really excited. We're so excited about being together for Easter, which we couldn't do last year. Right? We're, our church is four years old. We've only done Easter together three times, so we just decided we'd do two services today just to make up for last year. Okay, So we added this one to, to make up for last year. Well, we added one every week, so we're going to keep doing this. But nevertheless, um, some of you may not know this because you may be, may be new around here, but our church is only four years old. And so even though when you walk in, hopefully you walk in and see everything going on, you're like, wow, it looks like they got their act together. All right, that's a facade. But uh, hopefully you at least get that perception. You know, we're four years old. When I think of the church, we're like a toddler. You know, we got all these churches all over the place that have been around hundreds of years, you know, and we're, we're just like a baby and we're still figuring things out. We're still learning about who we are as a church and what we're supposed to be doing and, and all that sort of in development. Um, as Jess mentioned during the, uh, the host comments, when we've had our our uh, events where we have new people come, we tell them about the church and everything. It's had like four different names. So uh, we think this one's going to stick though. Okay. So the connection events, I think it's going to stick, but, um, you know, even our mission statement, know God, find hope, live free, and do good. That's something that has sort of grown into place in our church. It wasn't there when we started. In fact, for the first year of our church, and those of you that have been around, you'll know this uh, if you were here from the beginning, but um, for the first year of our church, that was not the mission statement of our church. I honestly don't even remember what it was. <laughs> And the reason is because we had to put it together fast and furious and didn't put a lot of thought into it because when, um, when Jess and I believed that God wanted us to plant a church here in Salisbury, it was like October of 2016, and we believed we were supposed to launch and start in March of 2017. And, and six months may sound like a lot of time, but when you're trying to build an organization from the ground up, it's, that's not a lot of time. And so we knew we were going to need help. And we knew we were going to need support. And uh, like we know how to do ministry. You know, I've been preaching, teaching, doing ministry for a long time. Jess has been doing ministry for a long time. We had no idea how to do all the organizational stuff of starting a church. Because like you have to have bylaws and you have to file for your 501c3 and you have to have boards and all this kind of like logistic stuff. Oh, and by the way, you got to have some money. And so we didn't have any of that. And so we were looking for a partner that would help us to launch as we were started the church. And we, we found out about this organization called ARC, the Association of Related Churches. It's a non-denominational organization whose goal is to get churches planted of lots of different kinds and sorts all over the world. And there's actually ARC churches in this area. You'd never know it, though, because it's not a denomination or anything. You don't put it on the sign. It's just an organization that exists to help churches get planted. And so they provide training for you and financial matching and resources. And so it was a great partnership to have with them. And we still support them today as a church because of the good work they're doing planting churches all over the world. But uh, oh, that's a mouthful. But what I'm getting at is we were getting ready. We were, it was all, usually they make you plan for a year before you're ready to plant your church. That's their normal timeline. And we were doing it in like five months. And so we went on the accelerated course of study. And we had to go down to Birmingham, Alabama, where it's, uh, where it's centered, where it's located, and do training. And we did all these classes and things on all these stuff you have to do in order to put a church together. Um, or at least the kind of church that, that we put together. And um, one of the things they require you to do before you get there is to write a mission statement. And we had like a week. 
like a week. We just didn't have a lot of time to put into it. And so we kind of pulled a little bit from this church over here and that church over there. And we took something and we kind of stuck it together. And that was our mission statement. And so for the first year of the church, that was our mission statement. But the problem was it was so generic and it wasn't really compelling or exciting. It was very, well, it was boring. Okay. It was boring and it didn't really say anything about our church. And so we realized after a year that we needed to grow up a little bit and we needed to put some thought and prayer and attention into what our mission was going to be as a church. And after that process, that's when we landed on know God, find hope, live free, and do good, which we talk about all the time. It's like common knowledge around here. We got the t-shirts and everything, um, but we had to, you know, introduce that to the church at one point. And the thing that we've noticed about our mission statement is that A, I think it's very compelling and exciting. I mean, know God, find hope, live free, do good. Who doesn't want to do those things, you know? Um, But I also think that it, it says something about what we believe and what we practice and who we are as a church as well. But there's a piece of our mission statement that always seems to trip people up. You can probably guess which one it is based on the name of the series. <laughs> but we say the mission statement, we're like, no God. And people are like, yeah, cool, I get that. Find hope. They're like, yeah, cool, I get that. Obviously, hope in Jesus, yep, obviously, yeah, that's easy, right? Live free. And people are like, that sounds great. I don't know what that means, but that sounds great. <laughs> and then do good. They're like, oh, I'm back on track with you. I know what that is, right? Living free. Every time that I do a series, a teaching series, where we work through these four things or where I talk about them in one of our connection events or when we discuss it with people, we say, no, God, find hope, live free, and do good. Live free is the one people always want to talk about. It's the one they have the most questions about. It's the one that always gets the, the feedback after the message, like, well, could you explain this or explain that? And honestly, I feel like whenever I have to do that concept in one message or in one event or whatever, I never do it justice and kind of never explain it as fully as I want to explain it uh, or as I understand it. And so it just needs more time. We need more time with it to flesh it out and talk about what it actually means. And it's one of the things that I believe in, in some ways sets us apart from other churches, not better or anything like that. But I just don't think there are a lot of churches out there that communicate this idea of living free and how we actually do it. And so we're going to spend an entire series on it. We're going to spend five weeks just talking about this idea, what it means, how we actually live free, and how it changes our lives. Because it is not how most people understand Christianity, particularly non-Christians, but even a lot of Christians. Because most people think that Christianity is a religion like every other religion that's out there, and it's not. It's not. It's different than all of them. All these religions that are performance-based, where you earn your way into God's grace by doing this and not doing that, that's not how Christianity works. It's not like that. Most people think it is, though. And when most people think of Christianity, they don't think of life or freedom. They think of death, right? Death to fun. That's what they think. Oh, you become a Christian, you don't get to have fun anymore, right? Well, let me tell you, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. Or death to, uh, death to reason. Can't use your brain anymore. Got to turn that off. Right? No. Or death to my choices. Well, your free will's gone. You got to do whatever I tell you to do. No. Or, or death to sleeping in on Sunday. You're all at the 11 o'clock service. You got to sleep in a little bit today, right? You at home, you just rolled out of bed. You got your pajamas on. I know what's happening, right? Or, or how about this? 
death to driving like a maniac in traffic because now you got the sticker on your car. Right? All right. I, I deal with that one all the time, which is why <laughs> I, so if I don't drive like a maniac, okay, sometimes I make mistakes, okay? Sometimes I do get upset at other people. It happens. And, uh, and so we have these stickers that you can put on your car. We actually have some out at the resource table. So if you go out there afterward, you, Rhonda, will give, Rhonda will give you. She's right there. All right, that's Rhonda. And uh, so Rhonda will give you one. All right. But just like, do me a favor. I would love for you to put the sticker on your car. But if you put the sticker on your car, be nice. Okay? Be nice. Because you are representing the church and ultimately you're representing Jesus. So, you know, be careful with that. Uh, drive like a maniac. That's your choice. Just don't put the sticker on your car. Or if you're somewhere in the middle, you can do what I did. And I just put the green circle, but not the name. So like, maybe they, maybe they won't know what it is. So if you want to go have these, you can go have these. But all right. But most people think, most people think that Christianity or faith means death. And you almost, you really can't blame them in a way though, because have you ever thought about this before? But the symbol of our faith is an execution device. The cross, today, to us, it means salvation, it means hope, it means, you know, it, it symbolizes our faith. But you think about people in the first century when the church was first starting, and they're walking around talking about the amazing cross, the wonderful cross. And Roman people are looking at them like, are you out of your mind? Like we used, we invented that to torture people and to execute them. Can you imagine if a religion came around today and their symbol was a guillotine? Well, what do you think about them? Are those people about life or are they about death? Or if their if their symbol was a gallows or a lethal injection needle, like what are those people about? Well, obviously they're about death. So you almost can't blame people for thinking that we might be about that. And it's probably what's been told to them about Christianity or even what's been modeled to them about Christianity. But listen, yes, we do celebrate Jesus' death, which may sound a little weird, but the reason that we celebrate Jesus' death is because of what he did on the cross. Because on the cross, he offered himself as a substitute for the penalty of sin in our place. He stepped in front of the bullet for us. He offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross to pay for our sins so we don't have to pay for it. So he's a hero. Yes, we celebrate his death. You think about the way we might celebrate the death of someone else who was a hero, who saved a bunch of people or whatever. We'll take that to the nth degree, and that's what Jesus did. So yeah, we celebrate his death. But it's not just about his death. Because if, if all he had done was died on the cross, I mean, what makes him any different than the other thousands of people that the Romans executed on crosses in the day? What gives us confidence and what gives us hope is not just the cross, it's the resurrection, what we celebrate today. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. The great news is that he walked out of the grave on his own. And if he says that if he could give himself life like that, if he could return himself to life, then he can certainly do the same for us. He's the only person who's ever undied. Like, anybody can die. It's not particularly hard. I, we're probably all going to do it, you know. But he's the only person who has ever undied on his own. And that's where our confidence comes from. And that's where our joy comes from. Christianity is not about death. Not, not at all, though we do celebrate Jesus' death. Christianity is about life. Life and hope and freedom 
and joy. God did not create you for misery. That's not why he created human beings in the first place. We surrounded ourselves with misery through our own sin. What God created us for is companionship, joy, love, peace, purpose, fulfillment, all of these great things are what we've been created for. And it's what Christianity is trying to get, what we're trying to get back to, what we were originally made for. But unfortunately, the message of life is not prevalent enough in churches. And I'm just saying that from experience, not trying to call anybody out, but I feel like we got a bunch of Eeyore Christians out there. And you Winnie the Pooh, and they're just around like, oh, being a Christian is so hard. I just don't get to do anything anymore. It's like, you got to get over it. You got to change your mindset because this is not about death. This is about life. This is about freedom. This is about doing things the way we were created to do them and being in a relationship with God that we were created to be in. And fulfillment, all of that. And it's all because the, 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 the key moment for us is the moment that Jesus walked out of the grave. That's what secures it. That's what gives us confidence. So what I want to do is I want to read about that moment. I want to read about the, the disciples finding out about Jesus and his resurrection from Luke 24. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 24. We're going to be there for just a minute. And uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, now this is, this is after Jesus has been crucified. He's been, he's been speared through the side to prove he was dead, taken down off of the cross. He's been put into a tomb. He told everyone he was going to be coming back, but nobody remembered that. And so they, they didn't, God hid that from them, but they didn't remember that. And so they're going and they're taking care of the body the way they would always do it, mourning and all that. And I was actually thinking yesterday, I was, I was outside a good bit of the day yesterday, and um, I, I just had this thought cross my mind, like, Saturday must have been the hardest day for them. It must have been the hardest day for them. I mean, watching Jesus be crucified must have been incredibly painful and difficult for those that were there, but you're in shock at that point as to what's going on, as you're in the whirlwind, you know? And Saturday's the day that everything settled down and they had time to process what, had, what actually happened the day before. Uh, and then they didn't have their, the hope yet that was coming the next day. So um, uh, they're getting ready to go. The women uh, particularly are getting ready to go and prepare the body as they would normally do. So verse one. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. What had happened was Jesus walked out. Okay, 
Everyone in history has walked into the grave. Jesus is the only one that ever walked out on his own. It is the most significant event in our faith. It is the most significant event in human history. And for Christianity, our faith is not based on adherence to a list of rules. It is not based on a religious system that's been developed over time to try and control people's morality. Our faith is based on an event, the resurrection of Jesus. Because if Jesus walked out of the grave, then everything he said is true. But if he didn't, then it's not. In many ways, Christianity hangs on the resurrection of Jesus. And that's why Easter is such a big day for us. When, when the apostles went out and started preaching, and they had the opportunity to lead thousands of people to faith in Jesus right after this happened, they told people that Jesus had died for them on the cross, but it wasn't his death on the cross that convinced them to believe. It was the eyewitness account of the apostles saying, yes, but we saw him alive. And not just the apostles, but hundreds of other people saw him alive. And they went out and they said, we saw this guy who died. And you know he died, by the way, right? We saw this guy who died and he's back. And if he's brought himself to life and he says that you can have life, then you can. That is the testimony that brought those people to, to a place where they were ready to accept Jesus as the Messiah, as their Savior. It was the resurrection, but I understand that today, to a lot of people, the resurrection sounds like an idle tale, just like it did to the apostles when the women ran and told them in the first place what they had seen. People say, ah, I don't know if I believe in all that. I don't know if that's possible. Well, yeah, it is impossible for us. <laughs> Not impossible for him. It may seem like an idle tale, but here's the deal. If you take the resurrection and you study it just like it's a court case or like you're a detective who's trying to figure out, get to the bottom of this, what actually happened, you're left with only two possibilities. There's only two plausible scenarios here. And people have brought up all of, all of the kinds of scenarios to try and explain why Jesus' body wasn't there, why it wasn't in the tomb. And obviously, there wasn't a body because if there was, the people who tried to kill him would have just pointed to his body and been like, yeah, I know you guys are saying he's alive, but he's not. He's right here. Like, we found him. He's he's." He's right here. So obviously the body was gone. So where did it go? And you run down all the scenarios of who could have taken the body or who would have taken the body, and none of them make any sense at all. Like the Romans didn't take the body. They killed him. And they had guards at the tomb keeping people out. And not just any guard. Like these, they, they, it wasn't mall cops, okay, Guarding the tomb of Jesus. Paul Blart was not standing outside the tomb of Jesus guarding it. They had their legit soldiers there guarding the tomb, making sure nobody came in. So the Romans surely didn't do it. And he said, well, what if the religious leaders did it? Why would they do that? They were the ones who plotted to kill him in the first place. They're the ones who were fighting against the Christians when the Christians came out and said that he rose again and we believe it. And starting this religion or this, this faith and you know, the Pharisees, if they'd taken it for whatever reason, when all that started blowing up, they'd have been like, whoa, 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 slow down a little bit. We just moved him three tombs down, okay? He's right here. They would have just shown. So they, there's, no, there's no way they did it. 
The only other scenario that gets presented as possible is that the disciples themselves took the body. So they took the body, and then they claimed that Jesus was, was risen, even though he wasn't really. So they're, they're lying about it. That's the, 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 what people present or put out there. And that doesn't make any sense either. Even though at the surface level, they might say, well, that could happen. First of all, they're not getting through the guards, okay? These are not fighting people. This is, this is like tax, like white-collar dudes. Like this is, there's, you know, there's a tax collector in there, and there's, now Peter was a fisherman. He was probably pretty tough, but they weren't taking down the guards. And the guards were gone, by the way. So they weren't doing that. They couldn't get in, and they wouldn't have either. Because we read in the Scripture, we know they were blinded or they didn't understand what Jesus was saying when he said he was going to rise again. They weren't expecting him to rise again. That wasn't part of the story. That's not what they were expecting. They were still sending people to prepare his body. They were sending the women with the spices and they didn't even believe it when it happened. And on top of that, the reality is even if they took the body of Jesus and they lied about the whole thing, all of the apostles, with the exception of John, were killed for it. On top of that, hundreds of people who saw Jesus and said that they witnessed him alive were killed for that belief. And if you know anything about human nature the way that I do, there is no way that all those people face death for something they're just straight up lying about, and nobody says anything. (laughs) Nobody outs it. It's just not possible. It's not possible. So you're left with two scenarios and only two scenarios. Either Jesus did live He did die on the cross, he was put into a grave, and he walked out on his own, or the entire thing is made up. Those are your only two options. And because the the resurrection is the moment for us as Christians, that's the moment that has to be dealt with. Which of those things do I believe And I will tell you with all of my heart, I believe that Jesus Christ came to earth, that he lived without sin, that he died on the cross for my sin, that he was put into a tomb, and on the third day, he walked out on his own. And if there is a person who dies and brings themselves back to life, I am going to take that person very, very seriously. He's the only one that I know. And if that one says that they gave themselves life, and that if I believe in them, then they will give me life, I believe that. I'm going to believe that. And I do. Jesus said this when he was talking to a religious leader, secret meeting at night in John chapter 3, most famous verse in the entire Bible. You're going to probably be familiar with it. John 3, 16. Jesus says this, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to save. He came to give you life. He came to give us life. And if he rose, he can. And so as we go through the series, we're going we're gonna to answer the question each and every week, what are we set free from and what are we set free to? 
Because God sets us free from something to set us free to something else. And today is very, very simple as we think about the resurrection. Set free from death and set free to live. To live. And it's not by anything that I do. It's not by my own effort. It's not by me being good or not being bad. It's purely by the grace of God that Jesus gave his life for me and he rose again. And if I put my faith in him, I'm alive forever. It's an incredible gift. And it's the foundation, the starting point of our mission to live free. That comes from, I told you, our whole mission statement comes from Ephesians, or I think I told you. It's hard to tell. I do two services. I can't remember what I said or didn't say. All right. But our entire mission statement comes from Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. And this comes from chapter 2, where Paul's writing to the, the church in Ephesus and the surrounding area, and he says this. But God, who's rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, living free begins with a freedom and life mindset. And I know that the question that comes after that is the application question. Okay, what does that mean for me? What do I do with that? Well, we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about that. We're going to flesh all that out. Next week's message is called, um, uh, this is free, today's free from death. Next week is going to be free from religion. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about being free from religion, uh, free, being free from sin, what that means, being free from shame and being free from fear. Because the question people ask is, well, if, well, if I'm free and if, and if it's not about my you know, performance, if that's not how I earn my way into heaven or out, then well, does that mean there's no sin anymore? Does that mean that I can do however I want to live? Does that mean I can do whatever I want to do? We're going to answer all those questions in this series. And part of the reason this one is, can be so hard to wrap our mind around is because it's not as simple and clear as a, a religion that has a set of rules do this and don't do this. We have, I'm not going to get into preaching the next messages. You'll have to join us for those to get all of that. But it begins with a mindset, a life mindset to remind yourself every single day that you're alive, that you have everlasting life, that Christ's resurrection has secured that for you. And to choose to live in life instead of living in death. And so maybe for some of you, that would be a first-time decision today to say, I believe in Jesus and to receive eternal life. And for many of you who've made that decision before, you are alive and you have life. And so what we have to do is we have to remind ourselves of that constantly and choose to live in it and walk in it. It changes the way that we live because that mindset makes us resilient and to understand that while everything around us, we're surrounded by death and decay in this world. And while everything around us seems to cycle down or spiral down, a life mindset reminds us that we're cycling up. 
Paul put it this way when he was writing about, he's the Apostle Paul, about all the trouble and trials that he was facing. He said that he was hard-pressed on every side, but he was not crushed. He was confused, but not in despair. That he was persecuted, but he was not forsaken. That he was struck down, but he was not destroyed. It's a life mindset that allows us to do that. To know that we have eternal life through Jesus and the confidence in the resurrection. And Paul followed that up and he said, yes, our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is being renewed day by day. That's what this mindset does for us. This is where it starts and we learn how to live free the way God designed for us to live. And so my encouragement to you as you're thinking about what to do with this, as you, as you celebrate the resurrection today, is live like you're alive. Because you are. So have hope and have confidence and have joy. And then as we go through the rest of the series, we'll talk about what actually to do with that on a daily basis and how that impacts our lifestyle and our decisions and, and all of that. But for starters today, just get the mindset in place. As we thank Christ for his death and for his resurrection. And the fact that by faith in him, we too are alive like he is. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you and I want you to know how much we, how much we love you. How good you are and how merciful you are. How kind you are. How gracious you are. That even... When we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, you didn't abandon us. You didn't forsake us. You sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place and gave us the confidence to know when he walked out of the grave that when he says that if we have faith in him, if we believe in him, that we will have everlasting life, it is true. And so, God, today, we declare and celebrate our trust in the resurrection, our confidence in the resurrection. I pray, God, for anyone who has never made the decision before to trust and to believe the good news that right now, in this moment, that they would believe they would put their faith in Jesus for salvation. That right now they would, they would simply tell you, Lord, that they believe. God, I pray that in this moment you would fill them with your spirit so that they can learn from you, be led by you, pray that you surround them now with, a, with our church, with a family that would help them understand what to do next, where to take this. God, I pray for all of us as those of us that are believers and made that decision many, many years ago that you would continue giving us confidence in the resurrection, giving us confidence that we are alive, that we have eternal life. 
that you would continue teaching us and showing us how to live free, how to live the way that you've designed for us to live. And that today, of all days on Easter, when we focus on your resurrection, you would fill us with life, that you would fill us with joy, that you would fill us with hope, that you would fill us with peace, knowing that you've won. You've won. Father, we thank you. And now we're going to sing, and we want to lift up our voices to you to affirm what we believe, that he is risen. Jesus is risen, and he is alive. And that because of that, we too have life. Thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen.